0: January 30th, 2011, lecture discussion number 31 on the Book of Romans. We want to welcome the great group of you who listen by internet, and we're of course at Sermon Audio and Podbean and on iTunes and um, places uh, that I don't even know about. Eventually we will have a central location for all of you, but once again, welcome. Okay. We've, uh, I've, uh, I guess it'd be me, responsible. I led us into a cornfield again, yet again, and somehow a study on the book of Romans has ended up in 1 Samuel 28. So, that makes perfect sense to me that I would be in Romans and Romans would get me to 1 Samuel 28. Uh, It probably does not make much sense to anybody else, much of you I'm sure as well. If, however, you are able to comprehend the sequence that has us arriving at Saul and the Witch of Endor from the book of Romans... And you can then easily negotiate yourself back through 2 Samuel 12 and Second Samuel 11 and Psalms 51, 52, and 53. And you end up back at Romans 3, 9 through 18, which is very important, by the way. You'll hear me say all the time, there's a bunch of things you have to know in Romans. One of them is Romans 3, 9 through 18. None are good. None seek after God. No, not one. None are righteous. That's very important, as is the just shall live by faith, which is the great thesis statement of Romans uh, 1.17. So you must know why Romans 3.9-18 through 18 is written, or you will fail, not fail. You will have a shallow understanding in the book of Romans, and I do not wish that for any of you. So if you can negotiate yourself back all that way, and you can find it, and you know exactly why it is that we are with Saul and the Witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28, then let me remind you of the Cliffside Community Chapel motto. You can all say it with me. Were you weird before you came to Cliffside, or did Cliffside make you weird? Amen. Okay. And by by the way, the answer to that is pretty apparent, isn't it? Lots of people are really anxious to answer that question. In case you doubt me, ask your friends, your families, your neighbors, coworkers, strangers on the bus, whatever. You'll find that uh, people will be really, really wanting to volunteer their opinion of you. Which I I'd never asked that question uh, of anyone. Do you think I'm weird? I have experience. Anyway, but if you can negotiate your way back all through that, uh, actually, frankly, that's a very good thing. And I want you to be able to do that. I'm going to try to pound it in. But for those who, who try to keep track of these things that are coming, and, and good for you for doing that, quickly approaching things, maybe not too quickly, but nonetheless approaching, we're headed, as soon as I'm done with Saul here in Samuel, we're headed to Romans three nineteen through Romans four twelve. Which is a discussion on law again, but a more in-depth discussion this time. I do have more confessions of David. Psalm 32 shows up there as opposed to 51, 52, and 53 where we are now. He is confessing because of his grievous sin in regard to the rape and the murder, the rape of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. So uh, that again shows up in, in Romans uh, 3.19 through 4.12. Abraham comes to the fore. And then, of course, my personal favorite, once again, circumcision. Here we go again with circumcision. And by the way, Dave has put us on um, Sermon Audio. And welcome again to Sermon Audio, people, of which there are, I think, almost 2,500 downloads just from that site by itself. And there's another 5,000 or so from Podbean on my sermons, and that is an entry. That's 7,500, and it climbs about uh, 175, 200 a week now. Uh, maybe more if I added it all together. We don't know what iTunes is. Uh, iTunes is mostly uh, foreign countries, from what I understand. Um, it's extraordinary, but we don't know. In any event, uh, I now have an opportunity because Sermon Audio tells me what sermons are interesting to people. And what sermons do you think are the least interesting to people? And that's right, circumcision. <laughs> Nobody, I love it as a topic. It's very important to me. It's the Abrahamic covenant sign. It's critically, no one cares. Okay, not no one. By the, I'm just trying to say to you people on Podbean and Sermon Audio that are listening to the circumcision uh, sermons, how blessed and holy you are. Listen to them three or four times to run their numbers up. That would be good. But it is, it is fascinating to watch all of that. But so we'll be back into circumcision a little bit. And if you do not already own a copy of Edgar Andrews' uh, book, Professor Andrews' uh, book, Who Made God? Now would be the time to order one, Is I'm going to be using it as a reference uh, once we get there. So you have a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe three. The church is also going to be purchasing some as well, and we're going to hand them out, especially to the visitors, mainly to, because I love to watch their expressions when they thumb through Edgar Andrews' book. He is the foremost world authority on super molecules. He's a physicist and a chemist and a philosopher and a theologian. And so it makes it interesting to see people try to understand him. Bill's read the book how many times now, Bill? Three. Not bad. He's got three more to go. And then you begin to understand Edgar Andrews. I'm going to force you to understand Edgar Andrews. So be prepared for that. It's something you make sure you bring your kids so they can go t- uh, torment their teachers. But also be aware that Romans 8 is on the horizon. And this is important. I almost brought it up when the shooting occurred in Tucson because of I had two situations there. I had a depraved ma- mind and I had an injured brain. And that becomes very important to you. Uh, I was going to take it on then, but I knew it was coming at Romans 8 and I knew it was coming very soon. And so I thought I'd set it aside. But the issue of the mind and the brain comes to us again. Romans one twenty eight is where it begins, and I can't emphasize along with one seventeen of Romans, along with three nine nine through eighteen is also Romans one twenty eight. Try to get those three if you can, and now your foundation in Romans is beginning to take form. I can't emphasize enough the importance of Romans one twenty eight. That is where God says He gives you over, gives them over, or gives the wicked over to a depraved mind or a debased mind. Doesn't say brain, He says mind. That's very significant, by the way. And so we're going to get into the mind brain issues again, or the metaphysical physical again, but specifically the mind versus the brain. And that will require that we refamiliarize ourselves with it first. When I first gave them to you, they were very difficult terms for you, and it freaked a lot of you out, and you can see all of those people left. You are the great holy remnant. But invite them back. But a lot of terms that you need to know. Qualia, which is subjective experience. If I ask you, please write down on your pieces of paper uh, the definition of qualia and subjective experience and pass it forward, um, or you will not be allowed to partake of the buffet. How many of you would go home hungry? Don't raise your hand. You need to know. You need to know subjective experience or qualia or self-awareness, if you will, versus cognition. Because there is in your, you have cognitive processes and you have subjective experiences, and they are not the same. You need to know the difference between causally, or I'm sorry, causal, I can't say it, caused, causally linked versus created. Something that is caused and linked through cause or something that is created. You need to know idealism versus materialism. And you need to know Occam's razor and how George Berkeley used it. George Berkeley used um, Occam's razor against reductive materialism. Now, you may not have understood a single thing I've said in the last three or four or five minutes, but you will. I will make you understand it. It's very important. And that is Romans 8. That's why we have to get through it. That's Romans 128. But to put it another way, let me put it this way for you. So that you can understand what's coming. And I want you all here. My mother's dying of Alzheimer's. I am confronted, and my sister, who is taking care of her, is confronted every day between cognitive abilities, cognitive processes, and self-awareness. And if she didn't understand it, it would be very traumatic. Christopher's in the, uh, in the ER, or ICU, Sorry. In the ICU, he is constantly confronted with brain injury. Does brain injury debunk metaphysical reality? And that is a question, if you ever want to get on the Internet and just make your eyes bleed, try that one. So let me put it another way. Can the, or did the, physical brain through a physical process or physical processes create your mind or your consciousness or your self-awareness? Let me repeat that. Can the brain, the physical brain, through physical processes create your metaphysical, my metaphysical, your supernatural, my supernatural mind? That debate is everywhere. The scientific position is is that the brain is the source of the mind, or is the source of your consciousness, is the source of your subjective experiences, is the source of your qualia, your self-awareness. I have self-awareness. You have self-awareness. How do I know you have self-awareness? You act like you do. And I haven't. Is my self-awareness the same as your self-awareness? What is a subjective experience? There's a a famous uh, thing that you can find pretty much everywhere. It's uh, 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 explaining someone who has been blind since birth, has never seen anything, does not dream with sighted dreams. The dreams are, are without sight. The dreams are hearing dreams, smelling dreams, tasting dreams, feeling dreams, but not sighted dreams. Blind from birth. Your job is to explain to that person who has never seen the color blue so that they can understand what blue is. Now, my other question is, is my blue the same as your blue? Okay. Those are subjective experiences that you must now contrast and, and, and put into comparison, if you will, the uh, uh, cognitive Processes And that's another complete story. And don't feel bad if you have no understanding of what I'm saying. Order your Edgar Andrews, Who Made God? And it's, of course, a joke. It's a joke by him because God is the uncreated, unmade one. So who made the unmade one? It's obviously a silly question. You get it all the time from people who think that it's profound, when in fact it is infantile, which is a shame. But anyway... I believe that it is obvious that the brain, the physical brain, through physical processes, did not create your consciousness, your mind, your qualia. I think it's obvious. It's my premise, by the way, Chronister's premise. It's not mine. Other people have done it, but I'll steal it. My premise is is this, it is impossible for a physical process, let me repeat it, it is impossible for a physical process to create a metaphysical reality, or a supernatural reality. Now, that is Romans 8, boys and girls. Romans one twenty eight, And all of you need to be able to answer the question. All of you need to be able to say to somebody that when they're... Cognitive ability is diminishing. My cognitive abilities are diminishing right in front of you. And they could get really bad really quickly. If that happens, just know secretly, even though I'm unable to communicate it, while my kids are pushing me around in a wheelchair and I'm drooling on them, that I am laughing hysterically. Just know that. Somewhere my self awareness is functioning wonderfully, and I am enjoying every minute of this. I will call it getting even. Getting even with Christopher for Amanda's phone calls. That's what I will call it. Now, that was funny, Amanda. That really was. Okay, anyway. Do not be confused, let me finish with this, do not be confused between the correlation. The correlation between the mind and the brain does not infer causation. Yes, there's a correlation, there is an interaction, but that does not infer causation. So if our minds are not emergent, they do not result from our brains, what is the obvious question? Then from whom do they come, and how did they get there? And that is traducianism, and we'll get back to that. So feel free to reacquaint yourself with all of that. That's coming soon. Get your uh, Edgar Andrews, as I said. Okay, First Sam, Samuel 28. As much as I am reluctant to reread First Samuel 28... I think I've got to do it, Uh, just because we were beaten badly by the New York Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Only the Most Holy of the Holy came, and uh, the rest called in sick. Yes, you did. You called in sick last week. And that tells me, of course, that we need two kinds of sick leave. We need sick leave, and then we need sick leave for when you're really sick, And not watching football. Anyway, this is a very difficult, mysterious chapter. Thousands of questions. I'm going to try to ask every single question that is in there today. I can't, but I'm going to try. I'm going to get the best ones I can, which means how much time do I have for answers? (laughs) Hardly none. That's a good thing. Thousands of questions. It begins, almost begins, with substance dualism being at the forefront. So that's why we eventually get back into that as we do in Romans. Something is going on here that seems to make no sense. And that's what? What is that? When you're reading the Bible and you go, wow, that doesn't make any sense. What's good about that thought that you just had? You get to say, I'm an idiot because it must make sense. And it's exciting that you don't know that it doesn't make sense because now you know there's something wonderful there hidden that you can't find and now you go about finding it. It's... it's the actions and words of the people here, Saul, the witch, the Samuel, the servants, which are the two men, are seem to be inexplicable on the surface, which means something magnificent is hidden here. Great buried treasure. And hopefully we can find it today. Also, I want you to co- connect it to David in second Samuel 12, and OK, off we go. Open up your textbooks. Here we are, First Samuel 28, starting at verse three. And read along. It will help you. Now, Samuel had died. Wow, there we are. Substance dualism. His body is dead. What's the obvious question? Where is his consciousness, his mind, his metaphysical spirit, his essence, his being? Where is that? Where did he go? So we start out with, Substance dualism. Here we go. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. What's Saul doing to the mediums and the spiritists? He's hunting them down and he's killing them. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by the Urim, or by the prophets. Did not answer him any of the three ways he was not answered. How many ways is there? Obviously, there's three ways. None of of that's happened. And then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman, wow, who is a medium that I may... I said, wow, because your mind better be thinking. Notice your mind. I'm not worried about your brain. I'm worried about your mind. Your mind ought to be going... Hmm, that's interesting. Then, if it's not doing that, thump yourself. Then Saul said to his servants, "Find me a woman who is a medium." Obviously, he's not in. No jokes here. I guess can't help myself. Not looking for, looking for a medium woman. Never mind. Then I may go to her and inquire of her. Another obvious question just pounded you there. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Indor. Then Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went, and two men, two men, let me repeat, two men. Not Richard Nixon here, two men. And that should get your attention. Two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done. What Saul done? He had been killing all these people that do this. You know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, (coughs) Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? What is his form? What's the obvious question? I'll just stop right here. and You can ans- ask the obvious question. Why does he even have a form? His metaphysical self is in a form. Are metaphysical, metaphysical forces, are, are, is our spirit soul in a form? If it is, what form is it in? Here we go. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle. And that, of course, is a uh, shawl, if you will. A prayer shawl and, uh, talit. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? That's a strange question. He just told him. Didn't he look, God's not talking to me. i got to find out what I'm going to do. I called you. So why did you ask me? Doesn't seem to make sense. There must be a great treasure buried there, huh? And the Lord has done for Himself as He spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute His fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. Why isn't he eating? Obvious question. It's like he hasn't eaten for at least 24 hours, maybe more. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you. Does that strike you as kind of weird? You look really hungry to me. I think I'll give you a piece of bread. Gee, thanks. Before you eat, that you may have strength when you go your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat your piece of bread. So his servants together with a woman urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened. She's in a hurry to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and made unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Okay, there it is. Can everybody see the board? Ah, move this over here. Where do we start? Probably as usual, we're going to make a list of the obvious questions, starting with the most obvious of the obvious questions and, the, uh, questions and then proceeding to the least obvious of the obvious questions. What do you think is the most obvious of the obvious questions? What is the least obvious of the obvious questions? Okay, let's start. A. Samuel is dead. Sam dead. Samuel is dead. How long has Samuel been dead? What do you think? How long has Samuel been dead from the time Saul from the time that he died to the time that Saul said, I gotta get him? How much time has passed? Let's tell. Lots of time. Not very much time. couple of days. How many of you think it's only a couple of days? Never raise your hand here. Good. How many think it's a year, a couple of years? Very important. What we call the how long Samuel dead question. Okay? B. Let me repeat it. How long has Samuel been dead before Saul tries to find him before God sends him? Notice how I said that. I said that God sends Samuel. What have I just said about Samuel? I've just taken the position. There's two positions here. Position number one is that Samuel is not Samuel. Position number two is Samuel is Samuel. I have the Samuel is Samuel position. Does that make any sense? Good. Good. You're starting to think like me. Bye, Anna. We've only lost one of you today so far. It's not bad. Again, a family member. Have you noticed the trend? It needs to be noted that Samuel had not contacted Saul since God rejected him. Okay. God rejected Saul because he sent him to kill the what I will say Amalek so that you understand the typology but it's the, uh, the, the so Amalek attacks Moses when Israel comes out of Egypt and God took notice of that and it is a very very fascinating typological study he attacks the the back end if you will of the nation of Israel the stragglers the the ones who are the the slowest Amalek the the Amalekites come down and they kill the nation of Israel. It's the first issue that Israel has, and God tells Saul, go and kill every single one of them. Not just kill them, kill the children, kill the cows, kill the sheep, kill everything. I want everything dead of the Amalekites, especially the king. And Saul doesn't kill any, he doesn't kill the king, and he tries to keep as much of the stuff as he can. And God is fiercely upset about that, if you will. Upset isn't the right word. He, is, uh, he sees that because God doesn't get upset like we do in that sense. His anger is righteous anger. Ours is sinful. But uh, that is a big issue, obvious question. Why is it that God wanted all of the Amalekites dead? But Saul refused to do it. Know that when that happened, God told Samuel that Saul was going to be removed for, as king at that point, And Samuel grieved deeply for Saul. And he prayed that that wouldn't be the case. He did not want Saul rejected by the Lord. That's 1 Samuel 15, 11. So don't disregard the depth of their relationship. Even though Samuel had not spoken to Saul since that event. Now, Question B. Might not be able to put them all on the board because i, I got to hurry a little bit. Why did Saul kill all the spiritualists, spiritualists and the mediums? Why did he kill them all? Kill the Medes, the mediums. Why? Didn't kill the largest, didn't kill the smalls, just killed the mediums. I couldn't resist. Sorry. Thank you for laughing. Sit in the front row next week. Why did Saul kill them all and then consult one? That seems odd. Didn't he kill them all? He tried to cut every of them off. (coughs) But clearly he knew where one was, didn't he? He knew there were some left. What's the obvious question? How did he know? How did he know that his effort to kill them all was not successful? And it seems, it seems really strange. Then Saul said to his servants, "Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her." And his servants said, "Oh, we we just happen to know where one is. Well, there's a coincidence." Saul knew that they weren't all dead, and the servants knew that they had one around. And he wants to be a woman. Find me a woman. I'm going to skip C and call it D because... um, Okay, I'll go ahead and do C. The three ways to find God or to inquire of God, the dreams, prophets, and the Urim and the Thuman. And the Lord does not answer Saul. Saul tries the three ways and he doesn't get an answer. Why isn't God answering him? Okay? So, why isn't God answering Saul? The phone's ringing. God's not picking it up, huh? Okay, now, D. Find me a woman. Why does he want a woman spiritualist? Now that should be easy. That's the that's the most obvious of the obvious questions, right there. Find me a woman, and and his assistants say, oh yeah yeah, we happen to know where one is. In. in fact, there is a woman who is a medium. Imagine that. She's over there in indoor. Really? Why did he ask find me a woman? Because he knew there's one. He knew there was a woman medium. What's the obvious question now? Why did he leave this woman alive? He's obviously killed all the men mediums. Are you sure trying? But he left this woman alive. Okay? What makes her so special? Or the another way to ask it. Why this specific woman at indoor? What is so unique about her? Why does Saul disguise himself? He goes in there in disguise. We covered that a little bit last week, right? One, he is a beautiful giant. He is a powerfully built, huge man. And he is also very attractive. The tallest, the most attractive. All in one. Sort of like... Okay, not like me at all. But thanks for going there with me. I know Blue didn't. He started out the sermon the exact opposite. But... Why does he disguise himself? Are you going to disguise yourself? You've got to be kidding. You're this huge man that everybody knows. I made the allusion to Shaquille O'Neal last week. Okay, he disguises himself. Is he disguising himself to fool the woman? Or is he a little bit worried about the Philistine army that has gathered? They're huge and they're all focused on killing Saul and he's got to go find this woman. And he knows this is going to work. He knows he's going to risk his life, go through the gathering swarm of Philistines and with two guys. And he's going to find this woman, this giant man. No one's going to see him. But the key here is that Saul does not reveal to the woman who it is he's seeking. He doesn't want to tell her that he's going after Samuel. Okay, if you have the Samuel just died position, then there you have a problem. Because if Samuel is dead, just dead, everyone would know that. All Israel laments for Samuel, if you remember. Does the woman know that Samuel is just dead? And next, the woman demands a safety from death. She suspects a trap. She says, why are you trying to ensnare me? Okay, does she know that this is Saul? Did the woman look at the disguised giant man who has come with two guys in the middle of the night and go, oh, I have no idea who this is, or does she know that this is Saul? In other words, how good is the disguise? Is it uh, Groucho Marx, glasses, and a funny mustache, or is it really good? Does she not know that this is Saul? That's probably my favorite thing, you know, is Clark Kent. Kent? That's not Superman, you know. Yeah, who's that? Oh, oh, it's Clark Kent. Yeah, this is a professional con woman, right? How easy is she to fool by a disguise? You think glasses is going to work? I don't think so. Anyway, does she know this is Saul? And Saul responds to her concerns of being killed by invoking an oath to God. And that's odd, isn't it? Does that strike you as kind of strange? He says to her, he swore to her by the Lord. There's an oath. He, he says, listen, she says, why do you lay a snare for me to for my life to cause me to die? I God will protect you. How does that work? Why does that work? Saul responds by invoking an oath to God to protect the woman from the death sentence, Leviticus twenty twenty seven, that God imposes on those who practice what the woman intends to do for Saul. Does that make sense to you? Essentially, this is, please God, protect this woman from yourself. Don't stone the woman because you said you would, but please don't so that she'll do what I want her to do. And the woman buys it. Does that make sense? Why was she willing? You uh, Here's what we're going to do. Okay. I want you to tell me something that you don't... If you tell me, you're going to die. And I'm the one that has said that you're going... I'm the one killing you for telling me. And I'm going to invoke the law that kills you. It makes no sense. So there must be one. Something wonderful hidden there. And then H again. Whom shall I bring up? Does she know that it's Samuel? Did she know that he was going to bring up Samuel? Before he got there. Now there's a position that's the not Samuel position, and I, of course, have the Samuel is Samuel position as opposed to Samuel is not Samuel position. As I said before, did she know this is part of the Samuel was not Samuel position? Did she know that it would be Samuel? Did she have time to prepare? If you think that this woman knew that Saul was coming to see her with the two men, then what have you then concluded? If she knew before Saul got there that Saul was going to ask her to bring up Samuel, then what have you concluded? That those two men are in on it. Because somehow words got to get to this woman that Saul's going to come in disguise, and you are to pretend that you don't know who he is, and then you are to pretend that you don't know that he's going to ask for Samuel, and then you're going to come up with the Samuel routine. Or you have the Samuel with Samuel view. See, did the two servants give her a heads up, get word to her? And if that's true, if that's your position, what would their motive to do so be? Why would they want Saul to go to a woman who would pretend to raise up a Samuel in order to ask a question that Saul could easily? He knew Samuel, didn't he? They were, they were close. How could I fool Saul with a fake Samuel? If you try to fake Samuel on Saul, what's going to happen to you if he catches you? You did. Why would she risk that? So did she know Saul was coming? Did she get a heads up? Or is this completely as it is written? I'm a literalist where I can be one, and I am one here. But maybe these two guys did that because they saw that Saul is greatly trembling at the size of the Philistine army. Their great leader ain't exactly looking too competent or inspiring right now, is he? And that, of course, asks the most obvious of the obvious, most obvious questions. Are the two men trying to fake a message from God for the purpose of motivating Saul to fight? If that's what they're doing, why not just run for it? Why why try to inspire a guy that has no willing to fight? Remember the order, the cause, and the effect. The Lord did not answer Saul. No dreams, no urim, urim. urim. No prophet, Saul is cut off, and these two servants direct Saul to this woman. Why did they do that? When the woman saw Samuel, okay, let me repeat that. When the woman saw Samuel, verse 12, she screamed. Thought I'd try it. How'd it work? When the woman saw Samuel, she totally panicked. Think blood-curdling scream of terror. Obvious question, what causes this great fear in her? I'm going to stop putting them on the board till next week. Certainly, she was afraid of Samuel, wasn't she? What caused her to be so afraid of Samuel? She was petrified of Samuel. She learned something, by the way, that was true. No longer did this woman have a view that was contrary to the biblical positions on physical and metaphysical reality. She knew there was a metaphysical reality. She was in the metaphysical reality business, but what did she do? She lied about it. She faked it. Now she found out that everything she had been faking really did or well, not, not in her case, but there really was one. And she was petrified. What's going to happen to her as soon as Samuel, the prophet Samuel, shows up and she is a fake witch? What's going to happen to her? What did she think was going to, she says so. I put my life in my hands. My goodness, Samuel really did come to, to us. I'm the one that's gonna get what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be smote. That's it for me. The key question, the least obvious of the obvious question, is why is this woman still alive? Why is she standing there? She should be dead. Saul should have killed her. Saul didn't kill her. Samuel should have wiped her out. She has two people in that room with her, both of whom should have killed her. And would have killed Read what Samuel did to Agag. He cut him to pieces with a sword. Samuel was known for taking out people like this woman. And now he's there. And she knows, this is not good news for me. Not good. If anyone could have come here, this is not the guy I want. This is the medium killer. Except for Saul i got two of them here. Samuel, bringing up the real Samuel was not a possibility to this woman, not in her plan, if she even had a plan. And certainly she is greatly impacted and her behavior radically changes. She goes to get a fatted calf. She urges Saul to eat unleavened bread. She makes unleavened bread. She's running around like a chicken, if you will. She's completely, completely in this total different personality almost. She was doing things to prepare Saul for his death. She knew he was going to die. How did she know he was going to die? Because Samuel told him he was going to die. And she's going to prepare him for his death. Prepare Saul for his day of judgment. It should have been her death. It should have been her day of judgment. It's not going to be. It's going to be Saul's. And she knew what to do. She knew, I have to hurry. I've got to get him to eat. Why does he have to eat? i got to get him some unleavened bread. Why does he need unleavened bread? I've got to give him strength. Piece of bread going to give him strength. What kind of strength? He's completely overwhelmed by numerically. He's going to die. He's going to fight. And he doesn't fight very well. What caused that to happen to her? Obviously, Samuel caused that. And let me just say this. Samuel is Samuel. Verse 12, he's Samuel. Verse 14, he's Samuel. Verse 15, he's Samuel. Verse 16, he's Samuel. Verse 20, he's Samuel. He's always Samuel in this. And he is, he is described as Samuel. The Bible here in 128 of Samuel does not stutter. It never says anything but this is Samuel. So, now the thousands of questions begin. I've got seven minutes, twenty seconds. Get rid of all 1,000 of them. Okay, won't get them all. Why did God do this? Why did He send Samuel? Why did Samuel have the mantle? Why did Samuel have this form? What is the significance of the form? What is the significance of the tallit, the mantle? Samuel is in the form of an old man wearing a mantle. What are the, what are the metaphysical, post-physical death, supernatural implications of that? Very important. Why does God, I'm sorry, why does King Saul put his face in the ground and bow down to Samuel? Why does he do that? He bows down to him, puts his face in the ground. Why did the two men and the woman, when they saw, what did the two men, sorry, what did the two men and the woman do when Samuel showed up and they saw Saul put his face in the ground? Think about that, he put his face in the ground. What did they do? Just stand there and go, wow, that's weird. No, what do you think they did? What do you think that woman did? Man, she's, she's got a face full of dirt, doesn't she? And so do those two guys. She's not the only one afraid here. I tell you, the only one that's not afraid in this whole group is who? Well, Samuel, but also Saul. This is exactly what he wanted. He's hoping for this. He planned it. He knew it would happen. How is it that he knew it would happen? How did he know that Samuel would come? Why did he even think this would work? I'm going to go to a fake woman medium. I'm going to disguise myself. Got to be really careful. She sees who I am. She knows I'm going to kill her. And I'm going to ask her to bring up Samuel. She had no chance of doing that. But it's going to work. And it does. I submit that Saul expected this. So the obvious question again is, why did Saul want to see Samuel this one more time? Samuel asked Saul two, two questions, the two questions of Samuel here. Does Samuel know the answer to these two questions? Yes, he does. So why does he ask Sam, Saul the questions? Samuel already Does Samuel already know why Saul is looking for him? Of course he does. Does Samuel then ask these questions for a purpose of what? Why does he ask these questions? What's that? For us, but also for who? For Saul. Samuel comes and asks two questions of Saul that are the perfect questions for Saul. Saul wants to ask Samuel, What's going to happen to me? And he does, but Samuel wants something for Saul. He grieves for Saul, he mourns for Saul. Saul's still alive. What do we got here? We got a chance, baby. got a chance. Saul knows God has departed, and Saul knows why, and Saul knows God will not respond, so he asks for his friend, Samuel, the one who mourned for him. And he asks, what shall I do? And what's the answer to that? What is the answer to what shall I do? And by the way, what an incredible question asked by Saul. A doomed man who knows he is doomed asks the best possible question. He asks, what shall I do? And by the way, have you noticed that God sent, wouldn't respond, right? God wouldn't respond. God's not answering him. No dreams. There's no prophet. There's no Urim. There's no Thuman. God's not responding. And then God does what? Since Samuel, that's what? That's great news. That's mercy. That's grace. Uh, You cannot imagine. God is speaking to Saul in a heretofore unprecedented way. One who is dead comes to speak, comes to testify to another, looks as he last looked. Why does he look like he looks? Have you answered that yet? Why does he look that way? Is it for his sake? Whose sake is it for? It's for Saul's sake. Whose other sake is it for? Who goes along for the ride here? Who gets to see Samuel? Question, you raise your hand on this. Who would like to see Samuel today? All of us would. If he sent Samuel to us, what is that? That's what great blessing Great mercy. Who got it? The witch of Endor got it. Come on. She got to see Samuel, the real Samuel. She had to hear him. She got The the two guys that are with Saul got to do the same thing. Think of everybody that's there. Obviously, now we've got to search the Scripture and find the other such incidents. Lazarus is one of these. Uh, He's a witness that has come back from the dead. Jonah is one who was dead in the well. And if you don't think so, see me later. Jonah's dead in the well, vomited up. He is a witness to Nineveh. Those who came out of the tombs at the crucifixion of Christ. Moses... Make the case for Moses. And remember Abraham's words to the rich Pharisee. When the rich Pharisee or the rich man, if you think, said, uh, send Lazarus back to my brothers. And Abraham said, they have the prophets. I'm not going to send you somebody. They won't listen to the prophets. They won't listen to Lazarus. But yet Samuel comes back. Remember David when the when the child born dies David said he shall not return to me I shall go to him and here Samuel comes back to Saul anyway Samuel reminds Saul at 1 Samuel 15 Saul's disobedience it's a great wickedness he didn't kill Agag he didn't kill the the sheep and the ox and the and he, he saved as much as he could he killed a lot of them but he didn't kill them all he was disobedient it must be determined then why what Saul did was so sinful so wicked that God tore the kingdom away from him and obviously there's a Christology in it Saul must have done something that is anti-Christ if you will it's a doctrine of Christ somehow there have to find it Because Samuel says, therefore, because of this, because of the Amalek issue, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. So we have to define what is this thing. And then this wonderful statement that he makes. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That's almost exactly the same as what? Yes, very similar, isn't it? I have a king. I'm going to kind of quit with this because it's blinking at me. and I didn't get all the questions. I have a king. And he's going to die. And who's with him? Two men. Two men are with him. A king and two men. And somebody says in all of that, tomorrow you will be with me. Now, how can you miss that? Obviously, something is. this is some crucifixion thing, huh? And those two men urged the king. They urged Saul to eat the woman. The woman goes crazy. You're going to eat this unleavened bread. You're going to eat this fatted calf. And then you're going to do what? You're going to get up and you're going to do What? You're going to have this fatted calf, and you're going to have this unleavened bread. I risked my life. Samuel could have killed me. You could have killed me. I put my life in my own hands. You're going to eat this bread, and you're going to eat this fatted calf, and then you're going to what? Die. And you're going to have the strength to be ready for what? Your death. You're going to be ready. And you know something. Tomorrow... You and your sons will be with Samuel. That's good news. bunch of bad news but some good news. Next week next week we'll answer all those questions. Oh oh, oh. no I'll wait for the birthday celebration after the final prayer. So let's rise and be dismissed.